Section 21 of The Myths of the New World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anabel Castaño The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brinton Chapter 7, Part 3 in these narratives I have not attempted to soften the asperities, nor conceal the childishness which ran through them. But there is no occasion to be astonished at these peculiarities, nor to found upon them any disadvantageous opinion of the mental powers of their authors and believers. We can go back to the cradle of our own race in Central Asia, and find traditions every whit as infantile. I cannot refrain from adding the earliest Aryan myth of the same great occurrence as it is handed down to us in ancient Sanskrit literature. It will be seen that it is little, if at all, superior to those just rehearsed. Early in the morning they brought to Manu water to wash himself. When he had well washed a fish, came into his hands. It said to him these words, Take care of me, I will save thee. What wilt thou save me from? A deluge will sweep away all creatures, I wish thee to escape. But how shall I take care of thee? The fish said, While we are small, there is more than one danger of death, for one fish swallows another. Thou must, in the first place, put me in a vase. Then, when I shall exceed it in size, thou must dig a deep ditch and place me in it. When I grow too large for it, throw me in the sea, for I shall then be beyond the danger of death. Soon it became a great fish. It grew, in fact, astonishingly. Then it said to Manu, In such a year the deluge will come. Thou must build a vessel and then pay me homage. When the waters of the deluge mount up, enter the vessel, I will save thee. When Manu had thus taken care of the fish, he put it in the sea. The same year that the fish had said, in this very year, having built the vessel, he paid the fish homage. Then, the deluge mounting, he entered the vessel. The fish swam near him. To its horn Manu fastened the ship's rope, with which the fish passed the mountain of the north. The fish said, See, I have saved thee. Fasten the vessel to a tree, so that the water does not float thee onward when thou art on the mountain top. As the water decreases, thou wilt descend little by little. Thus Manu descended gradually. Therefore, to the mountain of the north remains the name, Descent of Manu. The deluge had destroyed all creatures. Manu survived alone. Hitherto I have spoken only of the last convulsion which swept over the face of the globe, and of but one cycle which preceded the present. Most of the more savage tribes contented themselves with this. But it is instructive to observe how, as they advanced in culture, 
and the mind dwelt more intently on the great problems of life and time they were impelled to remove further and further the dim and mysterious beginning the peruvians imagined that two destructions had taken place the first by a famine the second by a flood according to some a few only escaping but after the more widely accepted opinion accompanied by the absolute extirpation of the race three eggs which dropped from heaven hatched out the present race one of gold from which came the priests one of silver which produced the warriors and the last of copper source of the common people the mayas of yucatan increased the previous world by one making the present the fourth two cycles had terminated by devastating plagues they were called the sudden deaths for it was said so swift and mortal was the pest that the buzzards and other foul birds dwelt in the houses of the cities and ate the bodies of their former owners the third closed either by a hurricane which blew from all four of the cardinal points at once or else as others said by an inundation which swept across the world swallowing all things in its mountainous surges as might be expected the vigorous intellects of the aztecs impressed upon this myth a fixity of outline nowhere else met with on the continent and wove it intimately into their astrological reveries and religious theories unaware of its prevalence under more rudimentary forms throughout the continent alexander von humboldt observed that of all the traits of analogy which can be pointed out between the monuments manners and traditions of asia and america the most striking is that offered by the mexican mythology in the cosmogonical fiction of the periodical destructions and regenerations of the universe yet it is but the same fiction that existed elsewhere somewhat more definitely outlined there exists great discrepancy between the different authorities both as to the number of aztec ages or suns as they were called their durations their terminations and their names the preponderance of testimony is in favor of four antecedent cycles the present being the fifth the interval from the first creation to the commencement of the present epoch owing to the equivocal meaning of the numeral signs expressing it in the picture writings may have been either fifteen thousand two hundred and twenty eight two thousand three hundred and sixteen or one thousand four hundred and four solar years why these numbers should have been chosen no one has guessed it has been looked for in combinations of numbers connected with the calendar but so far in vain while most authorities agree as to the character of the destruction which terminated the suns they vary much as to their sequence water winds fire and hunger are the agencies and in one codex the vaticanus occur in this order gamma gives the sequence hunger winds fire and water 
Humboldt, hunger, fire, winds, and water. Boturini, water, hunger, winds, fire. As the cycle ending by a famine is called the age of earth, Ternaux Compagne, the distinguished French-Americanist, has imagined that the four suns correspond mystically to the domination exercised in turn over the world by its four constituent elements. But proof is wanting that Aztec philosophers knew the theory on which this explanation reposes. Baron Humboldt suggested that the suns were fictions of mythological astronomy, modified either by obscure reminiscences of some great revolution suffered by our planet, or by physical hypotheses suggested by the sight of marine petrifactions and fossil remains, while the Abbé Brasseur, in his late works on ancient Mexico, interprets them as exaggerated references to historical events. As no solution can be accepted, not equally applicable to the same myth as it appears in Yucatan, Peru, and the hunting tribes, and to the exactly parallel teachings of the Edda, the Stoics, the Celts, and the Brahmans, both of these must be rejected. And, although the Hindu legend is so close to the Aztec that it too defines four ages, each terminating by a general catastrophe, and each catastrophe exactly the same in both, yet this is not at all indicative of a derivation from one original, but simply an illustration how the human mind, under the stimulus of the same intellectual cravings, produces like results. What these cravings are has already been shown. The reason for adopting four ages, thus making the present the fifth, probably arose from the sacredness of that number in general, but directly because this was a number of secular days in the Mexican week. A parallel is offered by the Hebrew narrative. In it, six epochs or days precede the seventh or present cycle, in which the creative power rests. This latter corresponded to the Jewish Sabbath, the day of repose. And in the Mexican calendar, each fifth day was also a day of repose, employed in marketing and pleasure. Doubtless, the theory of the ages of the world was long in vogue among the Aztecs, before it received the definite form in which we now have it. And, as this was acquired long after the calendar was fixed, it is every way probable that the latter was used as a guide to the former. Echevarria, a good authority on such matters, says the number of the suns was agreed upon at a congress of astrologists within the memory of tradition. Now in the calendar, these signs occur in the order earth, air, water, fire, corresponding to the days distinguished by the symbols house, rabbit, reed, and flint. This sequence, commencing with tochtli, rabbit, air, is that given as that of the suns in the codex Timal Popoca, translated by Brasseur, 
though it seems a taint of European teaching when it is added that on the seventh day of the creation man was formed. Neither Jews nor Aztecs nor indeed any American nation appear to have supposed with some of the old philosophers that the present was an exact repetition of previous cycles, but rather that each was an improvement on the preceding, a step in endless progress. Nor did either connect these beliefs with astronomical reveries of a great year, defined by the return of the heavenly bodies to one relative position in the heavens. The latter seems characteristic of the realism of Europe, the former of the idealism of the Orient, both inconsistent with the meagre astronomy and more scanty metaphysics of the red race. The expectation of the end of the world is a natural complement to the belief in periodical destructions of our globe. As at certain times past the equipoise of nature was lost, and the elements breaking the chain of laws that bound them ran riot over the universe, involving all life in one mad havoc and desolation, so, in the future, we have to expect that day of doom, when the ocean tides shall obey no shore, but overwhelm the continents with their mountainous billows, or the fire, now chafing in volcanic craters and smoking springs, will leap forth on the forests and grassy meadows, wrapping all things in a winding sheet of flame, and melting the very elements with fervid heat. Then, in the language of the Norse prophetess, shall the sun grow dark, the land sink in the waters, the bright stars be quenched, and high flames climb heaven itself. These fearful foreboding shave cast their dark shadow on every literature. The seeress of the north does but painting wilder colors the terrible pictures of Seneca, and the Sibyl of the capital only re-echoes the inspired predictions of Malachi. Well has the Christian poet said, Dies irae, dies illa, solvet saeclum in favilla, testis David cum Sibylla. Savage races, isolated in the impenetrable forests of another continent, could not escape this fearful looking for of destruction to come. It oppressed their souls like a weight of lead. On the last night of each cycle of fifty-two years, the Aztecs extinguished every fire and proceeded in solemn procession to some sacred spot. Then the priests, with awe and trembling, sought to kindle a new fire by friction. Momentous was the endeavor, for did it fail, their fathers had taught them on the morrow no sun would rise, and darkness, death, and the waters would descend forever on this beautiful world. The same terror inspired the Peruvians at every eclipse, for some day, taught the Amautas, the shadow will veil the sun forever, 
and land, moon, and stars will be wrapped in the vortex of a devouring conflagration to know no regeneration. Or a draught will wither every herb in the field, suck up the waters, and leave the rays to perish to the last creature. Or the moon will fall from her place in the heavens and involve all things in her own ruin, a figure of speech meaning that the waters would submerge the land. In that dreadful day, thought the Algonquins, when in anger Mitavo will send a mortal pestilence to destroy the nations, or, stamping his foot on the ground, flames will burst forth to consume the habitable land, only a pair, or only, at most, those who have maintained and violate the institutions he ordained, will he protect and preserve to inhabit the new world he will then fabricate. Therefore, they do not speak of this catastrophe as the end of the world, but use one of those nice grammatical distinctions so frequent in American Aboriginal languages, and which can only be imitated, not interpreted, in ours, signifying, when it will be near its end, when it will no longer be available for man. An ancient prophecy handed down from their ancestors warns the Winnebagos that their nation shall be annihilated at the close of the thirteenth generation. Ten have already passed, and that now living has appointed ceremonies to propitiate the powers of heaven and mitigate its stern decree. Well may they be about it, for there is a gloomy probability that the warning came from no false prophet. Few tribes were destitute of such presentiments. The Chickasaw, the Mandans of the Missouri, the Pueblo Indians of New Mexico, the Muiscas of Bogota, the Potocudus of Brazil, the Araucanians of Chile, have been asserted on testimony that leaves no room for skepticism to have entertained such forebodings from immemorial time. Enough for the purpose if the list is closed with the prediction of a Maya priest, cherished by the inhabitants of Yucatan long before the Spaniards desolated their stately cities. It is one of those preserved by Father Lisana, cure of Itzamal, and of which he gives the original. Other witnesses inform us that this nation had a tradition that the world would end, and probably, like the Greeks and Aztecs, they supposed the gods would perish with it. At the close of the ages, it has been decreed, shall perish and vanish each weak god of men, and the world shall be purged with a ravening fire, happy the man in that terrible day, who bewails with contrition the sins of his life, and meets without flinching the fiery ordeal. End of section 21. Recording by Anabel Castaño.